0: one interesting thing about arav is that uh, you never get to know like what exactly he's going to say because uh, we like he keeps it with him until he comes here and we have done this many times before uh, but he just amazes me every time and thank you arav for those beautiful words um the reason i'm standing here is because what i'm going to say is more like a sharing than a speech so i'm going to just pull my chair and we can imagine that all of our Zoom friends are also in the room, sitting with us. And I'm going to be talking about pain, and hopefully something which is valuable for all of us. It's a little bit intimate for me, and I feel like if I do it this way, then it, I feel a little bit more bonded with the community while I do it. I don't have a direction for any of you But I have directions, or things which I have followed. I don't have a map, but I have a topology, topography, a place, a territory, which I have experienced over the last few decades. The first time I realized that I was in pain uh, when I was about 20, and that was in 1994, it came up as a confusion. I felt that I was at a loss. It actually felt like I had decoded the pattern of life. And it seemed pretty hopeless. It seemed like we will be moving from one institution to another, like a family to college, marriage, another family, job, and then we die. And I was pretty astounded by that realization. I was feeling like there is, it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to carry on it's just kind of you know we just go on and move from one institution to another I know the pattern this is exactly the pattern I'm going to follow so what's new in this? I thought that I will go and talk to somebody about it and there was a professor in my college who was um, who used to teach a class called science and humanism and I went to talk to him and he seemed like a pretty interesting guy who had like a lot of things to say about humanism. So I thought he might have something to say. Uh, he told me to just go talk to one of one of the students, fellow students. He said, "Hey, why don't you talk to Abhay and find out like what he has to say?" That was a very interesting answer. And I went to him, uh, and he he did not say it, like he did not brush me aside or anything. He just kind of told me as if he was giving me some valuable advice. And when I went to this uh, friend of mine. Um, he talked about meditation. He said oh we do meditation and this is like really good, I'm really happy with it and all that and I thought okay this is cool I I, I would like to try meditation so then I went on and tried meditation for about a year and um, then I went back to my teacher and then said uh, you know I still feel kind of I'm really painful like it's my ex- experience is always very painful I feel like I'm in and what now I realize it was more like shame and numbness, pain, emotional pain, and physical pain, which I felt all the time. So at that time, he suggested I should go and uh, um, serve other people. Maybe I should do something which can help other people. So I was like, OK, I will do that. And in this next instance, I served um, in India as one of the highest security prisons uh, and helped people conduct meditation classes. I met a whole bunch of people who were like under trial or convicted of murders, robberies, serial killers, theft, assault. Um, One massive realization there when I talked to those people, and one of the reasons I talked to them a lot was because I was also doing a survey about the effectiveness or efficacy of that meditation program. So we were actually locked up in prison like with all of them, and we would get a hand stamp, and that was the only way we could get out, showing the hand stamp which nobody else had who was inside, And but we had because we were visitors. So we would stay stay there for days and some of them I did not stay overnight, but people could stay overnight also if you're helping with long running meditation courses. So one thing I realized was that they were really nice people. They were really nice people. I was like, oh man, these are like, you know, this is good people here. And another thing which happened to me, quite a few came to me and said, you know, can you help me get out? and it was not like in a legal system way it was more like can you help me like you know get out of this place in some way and I felt concerned and I went to another senior teacher there and asked him you know there is this guy who's telling me that I should be uh, I should help them to get out and I was like this is very concerning like you know it's legal situation here Um, and this teacher he did not like miss a beat he said you know, everybody wants something. (laughs) I was just blown away by that statement. I was like, man, I want something, they want something. Everybody is just wanting something. And this is very simple. What they're asking for is freedom. On that day, I realized that we are all same inside. And every time I have seen people on the sidewalk, rich people, homeless people, presidents of the countries, always felt that there is a person which is very similar to me. So I continued on meditation, and within three years I developed uh, developed a significant headache. Um, and now I realize that headache came from trying too hard. There was this, uh, in a lot of meditation techniques they try to tell you to be patient and persistent and work hard and all of those things. And, to me, who was like already a very hard-working person, it was too much, and I just took it to heart, and it started uh, resulting in headache. So I stopped meditation, and then I realized that I will probably just um, go back and um, do the meditation in a few years. And I just randomly had a thought that after four years, w- whenever I get married, four years after that, I'll start meditation again. <laughs> I did not know what marriage meant at that time. But yeah, I get the joke. So. Uh, Aru and I got married in 2000, and uh, pretty, s- pretty much soon after, like in a few months, we moved to the US. And uh, in 2003, we had this most precious gift of our life uh, in form of Arav. And that is a story for another time. But uh, next year, which was 2004, I remembered that I need to continue starting meditation. So then I started meditation again. And then I went on, practiced the same meditation technique for 10 years. Um, I went to retreat after retreat 10 days, like really worked hard every day, meditating for nine hours or so in those retreats. And I did maybe six or seven of those. And then I sat every day. I constantly felt ashamed, numb, dull, and in pain all the time. Meditation made me feel relaxed for a bit right after I meditated or came back from the retreat. But I fell back into this. Feeling of numbness and and dullness and and bodily pain. On the flip side, I was also started thinking f- about my career, and I got very serious about my career. Um, we live in the Bay Area, so that's kind of a comes with the with the environment. Um, I grew severe anxiety, and so much so that I was. And, and this might be familiar to a lot of people. Once I have started talking about it, a lot of people tell me that they also experience this, that they get up in the middle of the night, they are very anxious, and they can't go back to sleep until they are, um, you know, until several hours, and this is what happened to me for several months. Uh, then I would catch an hour of sleep, like just like from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. I'm awake, I will sleep a little bit, and then I will uh, get on with the day. So one of my friends introduced me to another meditation, and he in fact insisted me, the same guy who introduced me to the first one, He said that, you know, there is this meditation you should try. It's called loving kindness. And um, I tried that meditation. And my first reaction with that meditation was that um, uh, the reason why I kind of resisted doing that meditation was because uh, it talked about smiling. And in my life, there was no smiling. (laughs) It was (laughs) either going crazy or feeling numb and painful. So I was like. Okay, this is, doesn't even sound like meditation, but he insisted and I tried, and it was loving-kindness meditation and it provided me immense relief. So, one of the first lessons I would, I would suggest, like or, or on the map or the territory, is a loving-kindness was a major healer for me. And this is when I got to know of uh, a person who is very special in my life, uh, Reverend Doug Craft. Uh, he um, Doug is uh, was a UU minister. He he had just left the UU ministry at the time. He was uh, a minister of uh, uh, UU Church of Sacramento, and he just stopped that uh, around the time when I met him in two thousand fourteen, and he uh, to go full time into meditation teaching. And I did many retreats with him. Uh, he also became my therapist, and he has been a therapist for as a profession. He I mean he is like so. Uh, talented, he has written books and being a therapist and UU minister and whatnot. So uh, we went for many, many therapy sessions for many years. Um, I started realizing what was wrong with me or my experience. I started seeing that there was this um, sense of abandonment and abuse which happened uh, when I was a child, and that was still with me. And that was the one which I was trying to mask throughout uh, with shame and anxiety. Um, It was hard. Most of those therapy sessions, I cried, and I cried, and then I cried again. And it was just a routine. And it felt better. So another lesson here. I actually recommend crying. I feel crying is a really good thing. It helps relax your... Crying and laughing, by the way, are very similar things uh, physiologically because it relaxes your diaphragm. And sometimes you come in shakes when you're sobbing or, or, or you're crying and pushing down on your diaphragm. Uh, it feels good. And it relieves a lot of emotions which are otherwise uh, stay inside. However, I hit a plateau again where I was like, OK, I'm crying, I'm getting better, but I'm just kind of constantly in this is still mild fever of pain and, and problems and anxiety. In fact, anxiety increased a little bit more Uh, That's when I I encountered um, a book called Change. It's actually not called Change Triangle, but there is a there is a concept called Change Triangle, which uh, by Hilary Jacobs Handel, she introduced this concept that we use defenses to suppress our emotions, like talking too much, working too much, eating too much, keeping quiet. There are so many people have defenses in terms of trying to not to not allow themselves from feeling or drinking or whatnot. So everybody has has their own. And on the other point of the this is one point of the change triangle. The other point of the change triangle is that um, we have inhibitory emotions. Things like anxiety, shame, guilt. And these are the things which hold emotions down. They're really good at holding emotions down. And in some ways they are really useful because if you don't have shame and if I'm feeling like really bothered by something in a, in a meeting in my office or workplace, I will be yelling at people. But that's not what I'm supposed to do, because I will be kicked out of my job pretty soon. <laughs> so this is a good tool. But at the same time, sometimes it goes in overdrive. Uh, anxiety, worry has its own energy. It, tries, it tells you to you need, take action, do something. But it can go in overdrive. Remorse can be a good thing, but sometimes it can turn into guilt. So that is the second part of the change triangle, that we need to understand that we have defenses, we need to understand that we have these inhibitory emotions, things which are blocking. And once I went through a lot of that exercise of that change triangle, I realized that um, I could identify shame, guilt, anxiety as three different sensations in my body, and where they happened, and how they happened. And that was a big clue, because I now know that I'm not feeling bad, I'm feeling this. There is a name for it. And the third part of the change triangle is core emotions, things like joy, excitement, anger, uh, disgust, and so on and so forth. Her theory is that if you were to able to traverse your defenses to inhibitory emotions, to core emotions, when you experience those core emotions, you will be guaranteed to feel joy and peace. So why does that that not happen completely for us is another story, which I'm going to tell you in a a few seconds. But that change triangle helped me a lot. It put a framework for my experience, and I was able to understand what was going on. Then during those therapy sessions, actually, Doug is. uh, one other thing about Doug is that he keeps learning new things, and he's probably like 75 or 78 or something, and his big project right now is understanding neuroscience and how neuroscience, what neuroscience says about consciousness. So he introduced me to people like uh, Yaak um Anil Seth, Mark Soames, and I have books of all of those people in my home and I keep reading about them and learn about them. Um, it actually changed quite a bit for me once I learned about neuroscience of how our mind works and that was like another level of understanding i want to pause here and take a pulse on this talk so far um, so just to like start off like a basic question has anybody suffered here before <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so we we kind of at least connected that level um is anybody who feels or has felt blocked in their life before, like kind of same thoughts keep coming to them, and they feel like there is no out, and there is no easy out. They have out in other situations in their life, but they just there is something which keeps bothering them, keeps coming up to them. And I don't mean to invoke these uncomfortable feelings, um, and l- just leave you with them. But I just want you to know that a lot of people feel them. And this is our private space where we feel like we are suffering. We have the same thoughts about our children, about our parents, about losses, and many of those things which we keep thinking about, but um, we are all connected through that experience. It is very common. I don't know if if anybody is willing to raise a hand or or say something about that, but um, I would be interested to know if anybody has felt in their life now or before that they were kind of in this trap, which I, was, which I was for many, many years. OK, we have somebody here. OK. And on the Zoom chat, I don't know whether people have um, that experience, but I, I would imagine that they feel a similar way. Is, um, is anyone willing to talk about it? or or post it in a chat window, where it's not necessarily about going into the gory details, but just like a line or two about how you felt when you felt trapped, when you felt that you were not feeling that this situation is going to resolve. And I have lived that life for like 28 years or probably longer. I realized that I was living that life when I was 20, but I probably lived longer than that. Do we maybe we can bring up the chat if anybody is um, willing to say anything about it or interested to say anything about it rather? and it's okay if, if you are not we can always chat later on as well okay we do see that uh, people relating to that experience The reason I wanted to go into that is because I wanted to um, talk about neuroscience and psychology and anytime those words come up it sounds like some academic exercise which is not related to our experience it's something somebody else does for some other reason and i i want to tell you that that's not the case so okay yeah so we, we hear about the difficult problems in today's world in our country uh, so i agree with that it's not only personal it could also be things which affect us uh, at a national level at a uh, at a human level at global level so uh, starting with yak his name is pronounced as j a k yak panksep he is no more but he did decades of research on emotions his research was mostly empirical he tried to prove that humans and mammals and even birds and even fishes experience emotions he is actually fondly known as rat tickler <laughs> rat tickler so he actually proved that he could tickle rats and they would laugh So there is a video, there is a grainy video on the internet somewhere where you can see him do that. And the rats are so fond of that that they will follow his finger around because they they want to be tickled. Feel the same thing as we do. It's because if we believe in evolution, this part of the brain is actually much more fundamental than the part of the brain which developed later on which thinks and which plans, executes, and all of those things. So if you like, just make a ge- general model of the brain, the front part is neocortex, where you think and plan and have executive functions. And the back side of the brain, which many people call reptilian brain, is actually driving the whole show. It is starting emotions. It is the seat of emotions. Couple of other interesting things about Yak's discovery and how he presented them was he called sadness as grief and panic. Grief and panic. That made a lot of sense to me because whenever I felt these emotions, I was feeling overwhelmed. It was this feeling of drowning. I, I'm, I want somebody to rescue me. And when he said panic, it made a lot of sense because it was not fear, it was panic. It was something about being left out and not finding hope. And that came, as I have mentioned before, that came early in my childhood. Um, it was not, so actually, a little bit about that, like a couple of sentences on that is um, I feel like I was part of an intergenerational trauma which has been going on for generations for my parents, and it eventually came to me. and I am, I am 100% positive that I have transferred some of them to Aro, uh, unfortunately. But um, that intergenerational trauma meant that I was abandoned, I was abused. Um, And that feeling of hopelessness, of there is nobody to take care of me and that's only I need to take care of myself, in fact came to me even when I was a baby. And the reason I know this or can have a guess on it is because many times in meditation and therapy I actually felt like I was a pre-verbal baby where I was experiencing uh, feeling abandoned. So grief and panic. Panic comes from not being cared for when you're completely dependent on your caregivers. So that was the panic part. The other interesting thing about Yaak's no- nomenclature is that he called anger as rage. Rage is actually a much more pure form of anger. Uh, and he capitalized these words, grief, panic, ra- rage, etc. to tell us that these are not layman terms. These are scientific terms which he's using. Rage is something which like starts in the lower part of the brain and it wants to do something it has like a target action and um and the healthy way to take it out is to experience it and the way I experienced it uh, a few times in therapy sessions was to take it out on the tissue box and I tore it and threw it and all of that <laughs> so which I would say was a very healthy way to take it out because um it didn't the tissue box did not mind it <laughs> so Going from Yak, now Anil Seth, he's a British um, neuroscientist, and uh, Mark Soames, who is in South Africa, uh, they both parallelly did some research where they came to the conclusion that our consciousness actually comes from our emotions. It is very much linked to our ability to feel emotions. Consciousness is, uh, the word consciousness here means being aware. The fact that we we are aware we are not plants or we are not a chair, we are aware of what we are doing or what we are feeling comes from our ability to be conscious. Consciousness is not the same thing as wakefulness because we can be asleep but we can still be conscious. We can have dreams. So the consciousness is about our ability to feel. They said that consciousness comes from the deep part of the brain. In fact, consciousness arises because of something called effect. uh, something as we, I will describe it in a little bit, but effect comes from, um, effect is actually the beginnings of emotion. Beginnings of the feeling is called effect in their terminology. And what they described was that consciousness arises because there is a need to do something about the effect which happens in the body. And the effect happens and later on emotion happens because our situation, our organism as a, as a species has evolved so much. Uh, not that humans have evolved so much. The the evolution has evolved so much to generate human being, is that consciousness is important to deal with the complexity. And this is actually Doug's theory, the last part, that um, consciousness is coming because the the organism has to deal with a lot of complex scenarios. One of the one of which is society. Like this is hugely complex operation, the one we are doing in right now, and we are able to do all of that and we, I feel that all of this is very much necessary for our survival to be able to interact, buy groceries, talk to people, all of that, and this requires being able to deal with effects, being de- able to deal with disappointments, with joy, connecting with people and all of those things, caring for other people and all of those things. So that whole thing of effect, once the effect starts, then consciousness starts. Then you become aware of it. So There is another book which I read um, called Shame and Pride by uh, Donald Nathanson. And that book describes um, this nice structure how uh, we move from affect to emotion to mood. So, affect is, uh, we can think of affect as something which is uh, like a feeling in our hardware, like, you know, feeling in our physical body. Um, Take example of thirst, hunger. I'm guessing that everybody recognizes like, how thirst feels, how hunger feels. And um, my apologies for making you feel hungry right now. <laughs> we'll have burritos soon after. Um, but uh, even the emotional effect, before it becomes a feeling, it is similar to thirst and, and hunger. It is very fundamental, to innate to our existence. Once you're aware of it, it becomes a feeling. So that's the next level, that you know what is happening. When when you're aware of a feeling, almost immediately you start getting memories from the past about that same feeling which has happened before. And once those memories are picked up from the long-term archival or storage to our short-term memory, that becomes an emotion. So you keep going back and forth into thinking about, oh, for example, let's say I'm, I'm walking outside and somebody didn't talk to me. Who usually talks to me? I'm like, oh, this guy didn't talk to me. And almost always I will realize that there was like 20 other scenarios where somebody didn't talk to me. And I was like, yeah. And there is this starting chatter starts in my mind that, OK, maybe I'm not dressed well, or I'm not talking well, or I don't look good enough. So whatever the reasons why we make up why this person didn't talk to me. So all of this happens because of this interaction between memory and feeling, which is we call emotion. And if there are unresolved past, which we all have, uh, it sometimes can generate into mood, which can last from minutes to hours, where we are um, in this phase of, like, let's say we lose something. Uh, Aro talked about loss. And if we have a loss, that loss many times, or we have a worry, it sometimes goes for hours or days. One key thing which I want to point out here, or two key things I want to point out here, one is that, All of these are very, very fundamental and, surprise, very safe experiences. The difficulty with handling our emotions is that when they come up, we feel that they are unsafe. They're going to destroy us. Maybe we'll go out of our mind or we will become crazy. Nobody will like us. Uh, The opposite happens when we feel those emotions and give them complete space. What happens? is that we start becoming loving and caring and all of that. Uh, I was recently in a meditation retreat uh, a few weeks ago and um, for about 10 days, and I was walking outside after meditation and I just saw this. I was like, oh my God, this is what these guys have been talking about all the time. There is this field of emotions and feelings and moods and all of these things, the joys and depression and the anger and shame and all of these things just have their, a life of their own. They're just going on. They are not me. I can just look at them. I don't even need to control them. I can just let them be. And I started doing that and I felt so much relieved and my pain level went drastically down because I was not trying to control my experience throughout. I was not trying to be a good boy anymore. I was like, okay, this is how I feel right now. And it's perfectly all right for me to feel right now. And it is not even a moral statement. It is right now I'm feeling this way and I don't need to control it. So it was just magic. All I have to do is bring my awareness to it. And once I'm aware of it, I just hang, like, hang out there and watch as if like, these were cars on a street. And they are just fine. It was really relaxing. It is still very relaxing to have that feeling because I'm always there for myself. I'm not trying to be somebody else. I just have these feelings of um, emotions and feelings and thoughts, and that whole world inside me can be what it wants to be. Another thing which happened uh, after that experience was that I understood what many people, uh, and particularly Doug, have been talking about this interconnected web of existence. I started realizing that other people are very important. They are actually, their well being is as important as my own. Um, and that gave me a very different attitude as well. And one final bit I wanted to share, which uh, which changed uh, quite a bit for me, was the uh, concept of neuroplastic pain. So there is this recent, I think maybe 10, 20 years ago, uh, book or theory which is about the fact that a lot of chronic pain, people which call fibromyalgia, or people call it like you know, uh, we go to a bunch of doctors, which I did as well, to figure out what that pain is, uh, is actually coming from picking up signals from the body, which are supposed to be healthy signals. And just because of our past, we translate them to, un- uh, to painful signals. So all you need to know is that how the pain arises, not what the pain is about. If you know the mechanism of the pain, how it arises, the pain just goes away. And um, after the retreat, one of my meditation friends uh, shared this with me. And um, uh, she said, Prashant, this might be you. And when I, I s- read that, uh, like brief spin- snippets of what the neuroplastic pain was, I was like, oh my god. I just don't need to have this pain. All I have to say is, is no thank you. And that's all. <laughs> it goes away. So. It was like really relieving and, and uh, a f- good feeling. I will admit that there is still pain, emotional pain and physical pain. I'm not bothered by it. The fact is that I'm just looking at it and thinking that this is just is. And there is this going back to decoding the pattern of my life when I was in twenties. I feel like I have decoded a pattern of life here where it's not something where um, i'm trying to control my experience the experience is just very fluid dynamic moment-to-moment experience i don't have an agenda i don't have um, something i want to be or something i want to do i'm playing a lot of roles like i'm still fighting for uh, the causes as a as a management person in my company as a dad, as a and, and my own personal uh, wishes and aspirations, but all of those things are not something which I am right now. My current moment-to-moment to moment experience is just that I am feeling a whole bunch of things, and this is how things happen in my system. And guess what? These things have been happening for millions of years, for fishes, for mammals, for humans, for thousands of years, and uh, that gives me. And they are so much deep in my in my brain that. If I say that I'm responsible for these emotions because I'm thinking this way, it's completely bizarre because thought comes significantly like miles down the road in that whole structure. Actually, they are coming from my feeling, my actual feeling, and, and they are l- really encoded in me. I also happen to do two other things which I wanted to talk about quickly and then I end is that um, I cut down a lot of toxic relationships in my life, and that gave me permission to grow. So, if that's another kind of you know uh, pointer, if anybody wants to consider that, it's it's really really helpful. It works. It doesn't give you, uh, it doesn't take you out of suffering right away. At least it didn't for me. But it gave me permission to recover and grow. And um, one final thing was that I. Uh, in my meditation retreat, I talked about what I was ashamed of. And I started, I mean, I, I thought that I will have a list of five or ten things, and I talked to my meditation friends, six or seven people, who were doing the retreat with me and said, you know, um, I would like to do this. And I know them for many years, and they're very supportive, and they said, yeah, I would, and we discussed, like, what could be the um, negative impacts on them, and we, they were, like, all supportive, No, oh, we should do it. And I, I talked about it. I thought I might have a list of five or ten, um, I ended up with a list of 70 and <laughs> started with my physical appearance, uh, how I talk, my accent, and so many things. But um, it was very, very relieving experience. So if ever you find a safe setting where you want to talk about um, what you are anxious about, what you are guilty of, what you are ashamed of, this could be a very, very healing process going back to the change triangle. I would like to end um, with um, with a song which has become uh, extremely favorite of mine. And uh, this is by a person named Jim Scott. Uh, he lives in the East Coast. I'm not sure if anybody has heard of him, but um, he he's, has performed in many, many UU congregations, really uh, amazing music. Um, and I'm not gonna sing because I'm a bad singer, but I'm gonna just read it, what he, he sang really well. I would just assume that some days go by without worrying about things that I haven't done. I would just assume that some time goes by without worrying about battles never won. I would assume that a woman or a man live in peace on the land and before we judge the way they lead their life, we would be prepared to lend a hand. And here is the magic. There is a way and there is an ease to the life we lead. There is a way and there is an ease to the life we lead. There is a dream of peace not so far away. There is a force and there is a flow to the life we lead. There is a force and there is a flow to the life we lead if we just release and let it be that way. Thank you.